Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Do appreciate what I feel in this place. Amen. I know I say it all the time, but I'm just glad to be in his presence. Amen. There's no place I'd rather be in than his presence. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Praise God. You can go see a lot of people and think it's pretty neat to meet somebody, but only in his presence is there fullness of joy. Amen. That's, you know, when you meet somebody, and, and I've, I've had, you know, one of the things about evangelizing is you do get to meet a lot of wonderful people, get to rub shoulders with some great men of God, and it's something that I treasure very highly in my life, but it's nothing like being in the presence of God. Amen. We can walk away there and we can think about the memory we had of being with somebody. But I'll tell you what, when we walk away from them, we've just walked away from them. They ain't going with us. Amen. But when you've been with Jesus, amen, when you've been with him, he walks with you. Amen. And he goes, no matter where you're at, he's right there with you. Hallelujah. There's fullness of joy. Praise God. We live in, we're in a time of the year where we talk about joy and the joy to the world and all. And you know why there's joy to the world? It's because Jesus came. It's not because of our Christmas times that we enjoy celebrating with our families. And it's not the decorations or the gifts, but joy came because Jesus came. Hallelujah. There's joy in this world because he came and walked among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's joy here because he humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's joy because he came. Well, praise God. Amen. If you turn with me today to Genesis chapter 13. Amen. I, I have felt this so strongly. Amen. I have wrestled with it tonight just because of the direction I know that it's going. Amen. But I can't shake it, so I'm going to go ahead and preach. Praise God. I, Amen. We're family tonight, and I understand that, and I guess God wants to get somebody's attention. Praise God. Genesis chapter 13, verse number 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. The land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle, the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. They separated themselves, the one from the other. Praise God. Familiar story to most of us. Amen. And tonight, for a little bit, I want to preach verse number three, simply between Bethel and Hai. Between Bethel and Hai. Can you lift your hands and ask God to have his way in this place tonight? God, have your way in this place, I pray today, God. Lord, I need your touch. I need your help today, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God, we're asking, Lord, that your perfect will would be done in this place, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you praise. Give you glory in this house tonight, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God, praise God. Amen. And you may be seated. We have read here tonight where Abram had come up out of the land of Egypt with Lot. Both of them very blessed of the Lord, you could say. Amen. They were increased in riches. They had many cattle. And they had gotten too big to dwell together. And so, and there was strife beginning to be between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram. Amen. There was only so much grass and only so much water. And so there was beginning to be strife fighting over the best places. And, and Abram said, you know what? This, this, this shouldn't be so. Amen. So they got together in this place between Bethel and between Hai, where it said in verse number four, it says, unto the place of the altar. If I can just back up a little bit. They came out of Egypt unto the place of the altar. You know, there's often times in this life, you know, in the Bible, we can look in the Word of God, and Egypt is a type uh, of the world. And when we've gone out into the world, uh, maybe it was just going about our daily business. Uh, but when we come back out of Egypt, we got to stop by the altar to make sure that everything's still okay. Amen. When we come out into Egypt, when we come back, the first thing we should want to do is to go to the altar and there find God and reach out to God. Amen. So there they were between these two places and, uh, and Lot and Abram got together and began to have a little kowow, if you would. And, uh, and Abram said, man, this isn't good. We're brethren and I, I don't want strife between us. I don't want fighting between us. He, he said, I'll let you choose. I don't care which way I go. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. So Lot lifted up his eyes. And beheld the plain of Jordan. Well watered everywhere. There was no need to search for water because it was well watered everywhere. And if it was well watered, it just take it for granted that the grass was good too. And he, he could see prosperity. He could see an easier life. He could see that his cattle would grow and blossom and things would be easy for him. In fact, if you go on and read the description, he said it was like uh, the garden of the Lord. Uh, he, I think he compared it in his eyes to what he had heard uh, about the garden of Eden. It, it looked like a perfect place to him. 
compared it to the garden of the Lord, but he also compared it to the land of Egypt. In other words, to him, it looked like the best that God could offer and the best the world could offer. He thought, you know, down there, I, I have everything that God can give me, but I could have everything that Egypt can offer me. Oh, Amen. It looked easy. It looked prosperous. And so Lot chose the plain of Jordan. What he wasn't paying attention to is that when he chose the plain, he chose Sodom and Gomorrah. He chose a place of evil and of wickedness. But that day standing between Bethel and Hai, all he saw was prosperity. All he saw was the easy days. All he saw was the easy water and the easy grass. He was looking the hillside looked barren. It looked like an easier life down there. And Abram was left in the high places with God. The dry and the barren. The high places. Mountaintops. Not so easy. No doubt still good land. But wasn't like what Lot saw. You see they were in a valley of decision. And Lot was just thinking of the immediate. Oh, I know it's going to be quiet tonight, and that's okay. Hallelujah, I feel this in my spirit tonight. He was looking at the immediate. He didn't lift his eyes up far enough to see what the future was going to bring. You see, he was standing between Bethel, which means the house of God, and Hai, which meant heap of ruins. Between the house of God and a heap of ruins was the place that Lot made a decision. Hallelujah. A choice that was made that if we step back and look at it, Amen. With, with being able to look back and read the whole story, we realize that the decision really led to one or the other. Because he ends up in a valley of wickedness. He ends up first pitching his tent towards Sodom. But eventually we find him living in Sodom. And then eventually we find him sitting in the gate of Sodom as one of the wise men of Sodom. This was a man that first looked at the green grass. But eventually he found himself right in the middle of society. In the middle of wickedness and debauchery. And God finally makes up his mind that he is done with Sodom and Gomorrah, decides that he is going to destroy it. And he stops by that faithful man, Abram, and tells him what's going to take place. And Abram begins to talk to God and said, will you destroy it for 50? Will you destroy it for 40, for 30, for 20, for 10? God said, no, if you find 10 righteous, I will not. And he left off, and they could not find ten righteous. And so they come to get Lot. These angels come there. The wicked men of that city wanted Lot to let them have these men. 
defile them. Lot would not, and God struck him with blindness. And they told Lot to get him and his family and get out of the city and never to look back. So he took his wife, his two daughters that were still at home. None of the rest of his children would go with him. You see, he didn't think of that in the place of decision. And he walks out with his wife and his two daughters, leaving no doubt everything behind. As God began to rain down fire and brimstone on Sodom and destroyed it all. Somewhere along the line, his wife couldn't handle it and turned to look back and immediately God struck her. She turned into a pillar of salt. Lot was left with just his two daughters dwelling in a cave. And it all went back to that decision he made standing beside Abram. One decision. One decision. You say, well, you know, the things that I, I'm deciding right now, they're, they're not as big a deal as what Lot was making a decision on. Well, you know what? We don't always understand where exactly our decisions are leading us to. If we think this, oh, this is too small to bother God with, I'll just make up my own mind. I can figure this one out for myself. And we don't realize the decisions we're making can either lead us to Bethel or they can lead us to Hai. We're standing in a valley of decision. And I want to tell you, Lot was at the right place. He was at the place of the altar where Abram was seeking God. But we don't find where Lot turned to God. We find that Lot made up his own mind. He forsook the altar. Made up his own mind and his own decision. Without the helm of God standing between Bethel and Hai at the place of the altar. Joshua was reaching the end of his days. That faithful man, that man that spied out the land and came back with a good report. Him and Caleb saying, well, we're well able right now to go up and possess it. Let us go up at once and possess the land. Of course, we know that 10 other spies brought back an evil report. And so God sent them all back out into the wilderness to die. Save Joshua and Caleb. And when the day came that Moses was taken and Moses died, they, God put Joshua in charge, put him as the leader over Israel. And Joshua leads them into possession of the promised land. And there they were dwelling in this place that God had promised them. And Joshua reaching the end of his years. He, he calls for them to come back to Shechem. The place of the covenant. The place where there was an altar. The place where they had first heard from God. 
He said, let's go here. I've got something to tell you. And he began to talk to them and reminded them of the promise that God had given to Abraham. He began to remind them of all that God had done for them. How God had delivered them from Egypt. How God had given them this great land that flowed with milk and honey. And now they possessed it but didn't have to build it. They were possessors of vineyards that they did not plant and houses that they did not not build reminded them of what God had done for them and in verse 13 he said I have given you a land for which he did not labor Joshua 24 and 13 cities which he built not you dwell in them with the vineyards and the olive yards which he planted not do you eat you didn't work for it I gave it to you Hey, man, we like to preach about that first big victory. They didn't do nothing but walk. All they were was obedient to God, and God brought the victory over and over and over and over again. When they were obedient to God, God gave them victory, and God gave them this promised land that they did not work for. Then he went on to say, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away. It blows my mind that he still has to say this. After everything that God had done for them to this point, he still had to say, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you, to serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He brought them back to a place of promise. He brought them back to a place where there was an altar. And he said, it's time for you to make up your mind and put away those old gods and serve the Lord. But if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, make up your mind who you're going to serve. Well, it's the gods your father served in Egypt, the gods of the past, gods the Amorites in whose land you dwell, gods of the present, or the one true and living God. Well, hallelujah. That was the choice he gave them. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We made up our minds. It's settled in our mind. But you got to make up your mind. Somehow we also have to make up our mind if we're going to serve God. The gods of the past are always there. The gods of the present. We live in an evil land. I love my country, don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you, evil waxes worse and worse. There's evil worse and worse every day. Every day you turn around, it's something new, something worse. And and folks are being more tolerant and more accepting of things that are evil rather than things that are good. 
We used to be considered a Christian nation. We cannot be considered that any longer. Now, I know I grew up in a different land than what we live in here. In the Northwest, is a godless society. And, uh, and I'm telling you, they don't want anything to do with God. A few years ago, when I was pastoring in Southwest Missouri, my mother and her, and her husband came out to visit us. And we went to Silver Dollar City. And their minds were blown away because of all the different places we went where they read the story out of the Bible of the first Christmas. Where I read the story of the birth of Jesus and actually made Christmas to be about the birth of Jesus. And they were shocked because it was done in a public venue. Okay, so, but I'm telling you, it, over and over and over, it seems that every day that folks are drawing further away from God and kids being raised today don't have any clue who God is or what God can be. Some they believe that to be fiction, but yet they can believe the nonsense uh, that Hollywood puts out. Right. Woo! Help me, Jesus. Amen. They, they, they hear about the Bible and they say, oh, that can't be true, but they can hear about sorcery and witches and witchcraft and all oh, that makes sense to them. I'm telling you, we serve a God that can wipe that junk away, but they've got to hear about him. They've got to know who he I just spent, I, in the last four days, I've been five different doctor's offices or dentists with my kids and my family. Amen. And every one of them has cartoons playing for the kids. And every one of them had sorcery or magic involved with it. I'm telling you what, that's being fed and force fed to this generation to a place that they can't even understand how God can move. But they think a little stick can wave and magic takes place. It's the God of the present. And I'm telling you, I don't want it around my kids. I want my kids to be know what the mighty God is. I don't want them dependent on the witchcraft and idolatry of this present world. Hallelujah. I'm sorry if that offends you tonight. But I'm telling you, it's burning in me right now. It's burning in me. Hey Amen. We're raising our kids. This generation is raising their kids to worship athletes and to worship movie characters and actors and actresses who live lives that are immoral. They live lives that are so far from right and so far from wholesome, yet they're put up as idols and they worship them. And yet we're called strange because we worship him who made us, who created us, who delivered us, who gave me power, who gave me a spirit. Call me crazy if you want to. And I've already said this from this pulpit, but I'm telling you, it bothered me so much to turn on the Christian radio station and to hear them singing songs about a sports team instead of songs about him. 
just because some team is playing in the World Series, they begin to play these songs. I'll tell you what, it's idolatry. It's worshiping the gods of this world. And I've got to make up my mind that I'm going to serve the one true and living God. You see, we're standing between Bethel and Hai. Amen. And one way leads to the house of God. And one man way leads to a heap of ruins. Hallelujah. It's not something that we should just take. Lightly. Amen. Y'all can just say I'm crazy. I don't care. But I don't let my kids play that they're monsters. My children, we're children of God. I'm not a monster. But I'm telling you, it can lead to Hai. Here we stand at the altar, the place of an altar, making decisions. But has the altar become too commonplace? Obviously, Lot did not even recognize where he was. And I'm telling you, the decision he made led to the destruction of his family. We talked about them walking around Walls of Jericho. It was a cursed thing. It was bare to be an offering unto God. God, everything in it was belonging to him. They were not allowed to take any loot. They were not allowed to take anything from the city. It was to be that offering unto God, if you would. There was a man there that desired some things, and so he took some silver, some gold, and some garments. He went back to his tent and digged a hole and buried them in his tent. He thought he had it all hidden. And they went up against a little town, remarkably enough, called Ai. Which, if I study correctly, I believe may even be the same place that we talked about earlier. They said, Hey, I became Ai, is what I read today. There they were, going up against this little tiny place. He didn't even send the full force. There were several men died in that attack and the army of Israel was turned to flight. And Joshua was stunned and amazed, dismayed, heartbroken, no doubt. Began to seek God. Found out that there was some sin in the camp. <clears throat> so he caused Israel to pass by. <clears throat> they narrowed it down to tribe, to family, to clan, 
finally Achan stood before him and he said, what have you done? And he confessed to him what he had done. And so they took Achan and Achan's wife and Achan's children and Achan's animals outside of the camp. And there they stoned them all to death because of a decision one man made. He had to stand there with his children as rocks began flying. No doubt doing his best to protect, but all in vain as his one decision led to the destruction of his family. But unfortunately, it wasn't just limited even just to his family. Because I believe it was 14 men, if I remember correctly, that died in the attack on Ai because of the sin of Achan. That's another fat many families affected because of one man's decision. The effect, the ripples of it began to spread over and over because of one decision made. And we think that our decisions will only affect us. I wonder what became of the herdsmen of Lot. Wonder what became of the servants of Lot that he led to the plain of Jordan because he thought it would be an easier life. Boy, it's quiet. It looked so much easier down there No more hard work and toil. No more digging of wells. They just go find those creeks and rivers and ponds and lakes. It's easy. Green grass that would fatten the cattle up. Get a good price at the sale. It was an easy life. I don't know how much longer Lot lived. But I'm sure every day he thought back to that day on the mountain between Bethel and Hai. Elijah had prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Did not rain for three and a half years. He's tired of the idolatry and evil of his nation. He issued a challenge very familiar to all of us. First Kings chapter 18, verse 21. <clears throat> Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. He said, How long are you going to straddle the fence? 
Serving Baal, serving, who are you going to serve? How long are you going to halt between two opinions? And they wouldn't even answer him. Said Elijah to the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. Call you on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. <clears throat> to make a long story short, the prophets of Baal went first. They went all morning, all day, went all day, worked at it with everything they had. They shouted, they danced, they screamed. They went to the point of cutting themselves with stones. They were doing everything they possibly could to get the attention of their gods. And I believe that's no different than what people are doing today to try to get the attention of their gods. Marking their bodies. Doing all kinds of outlandish things. Trying to appease their God. They receive no answer and neither do the ones today. Finally, there came the time of the evening sacrifice. Elijah stopped them and said, it's my turn. And the first thing he had to do was repair the altar. And I know that I harped on this a few weeks ago, but I tell you, I'm feeling it so strong again today that we better make sure that our altar's not torn down. We better make sure that there is an altar in our life that we go by very regularly. You see, a neglected altar begins to fall apart. And that's the condition we find Israel in. Search, going after these false gods and worshiping these false gods that had done nothing for them and could do nothing for them, could not answer them, could not do anything because it was just some statue somewhere, some false god that could not meet their needs, could not deliver them, could not give them peace, could not give them joy, could do nothing. Yet they went to such extremes in serving this God. And the true God that had done so much for them. They had neglected the altar to the time that it was busted up. Elijah had to repair the altar. He laid the wood and the sacrifice had them pour 12 barrels of water over it. And in verse number 36 of 1 Kings 18, it came to pass... The time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. That this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Elijah said, how long are you going to halt? We'll have a contest and I'll show you who the true God is. 
Amen. And when God answered by fire, they fell on their faces. They could do nothing but acknowledge who the true God was. They found this at the altar where the fire fell. Oh, God. You know, fire is something that we need to have in our lives. Hey, man, we like to quote the scripture. Jeremiah said that it was, uh, he tried to keep his mouth shut, but he says, like, fire shut up in my bones. Talk. He couldn't shut up about what, was, what he needed to say to the people. Okay, I believe the gospel should be like that in our own hearts. It should be like fire shut up in our bones. That we can't contain it, but we're willing to spread it. But I'll tell you what, this fire that I'm talking about is a little bit different than that. Because we need a fire of purification. Amen. We need that fire to fall when we come to an altar when we humble ourselves before God and we're seeking him we need that fire to come because that fire can reveal the impurities that fire can begin to reveal the things that that we need to work on in our life amen Believe that the Bible talks about a fire that's going to come and it's going to reveal folks' works and their, their vessels that they've built of straw and of stubble there. And there's other vessels unto honor. The fire is going to come. And I'm telling you, those vessels of stubble, of hay, they're, they're not going to last very long. But those other ones, they can, they can withstand fire. I'm telling you, when that last day comes and that that fire comes, I, I, I want to be found that vessel that's unto honor. And the only way that I can get there is by making the altar a regular place in my life. The only place, only way that I can get there is by making the altar the place of decision. Where first I seek the Lord, as Abram did, and then make the decision. You know, it seems to me too often, we come to an altar to present God with what we're going to do and what we want to see happen, rather than saying, God... What do I do now? You know, Jesus came and he said, you know, I would like for this cup to pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I want, not as my will, but that thy will be done. You know, there's some things that I want to see happen in my life. It's my will. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's his. And there's decisions that I've got to make at the altar. I know I've told you this story before too, but I feel to tell it again. 
I was 2002, I guess it was. Summer of 2002. I had just finished two years of community college. Already had been applied and accepted to Portland State University. Planning to get my degree in business. I was getting a bachelor's degree in business management was my plan. And I felt God begin to work on me. And um, I wanted to fulfill my plan, my dream. And I, I kept going with school and kept going on, even though it just it wasn't feeling right. We were in a revival eight weeks long, and the last night of the eight-week revival, the evangelist told his personal testimony how that God was dealing with him. He was sinner raised in the world, and he was a senior in high school, just graduated, and his friend got him to come to church with him, and God stirred his heart, stirred his soul. Amen. He went and sought God, and, they, and he knew that that's where he should be. But he'd already paid a $50 non-refundable fee to a university, been accepted, didn't want to lose his $50, so he went on to university, spent, he graduated, got a big paying job, and was a very success in the eyes of the world, but was of all men most miserable. So that same friend finally got him back to church where he prayed through to the Holy Ghost. Amen. And finally he walked away from everything. He walked away from his job. He walked away from everything. God called him into the ministry. He went full time in ministry. And as far as I know has never gone back to have to work a job when he finally submitted to the will of God. And here he is telling this story. And I've just paid a $50 non-refundable application fee. Knowing that God was calling me and wanted to do something in me. And, and I'll never forget how I felt that day I, on the side of the sanctuary as I went to an altar. And there on the altar, I cried out my dream and cried out my plan. And finally said, God, whatever you want me to do. I'll say it to lift myself up. I left my college dreams there. I left my career dreams there. A year from that time later, I was a full-time evangelist. Amen. There's been days that I wished I had that degree. But I don't regret it for a minute. I'll never forget it. Standing, sitting in a service one night. Old elder standing at the pulpit. Actually, it was a Sunday morning. Newly wed. We'd only been married a month or two. First time I'd ever been to this church. First time I'd ever met this man. Good friend of my wife's family. And uh, he's preaching away and he stops. He turns and looks at me and goes, You think you're going to get rich preaching this gospel? You ain't going to get rich. Turned back around and went back to preaching. I started thinking, well, hallelujah. I don't care if I ever get rich. It's not a driving point in my life. See, there was a day that that was my dream. One day, conviction hit my heart, and I left it on an altar in Hood River, Oregon. I don't know why I'm preaching this tonight. I'm telling you, you're in a valley of decision. And one way may lead to Bethel. And one way to Hai. I'm telling you the place to make the decision 
is at the altar. Abram was at the place of the altar. Joshua took him back to a place where there was an altar. Elijah, when they were in that place of decision, he had to rebuild and repair the altar. And God answered with fire. If your altar's broken down tonight, why don't you find a place where you can repair it before you make that decision? Because it could be a decision that doesn't just affect you. It could be a decision that affects everyone around you. There was a man in the scripture and a lot of controversy about him. Joab, captain of the host under David. Killed Absalom even though David had said not to. Killed Abner in a very treacherous way. In fact, after that, David kind of laid a curse on him, if you would. When David was reaching the end of his life, Solomon was placed in his king. One of the things that he said to him was to not let Joab go down to the grave, but to kill him. I don't know why I'm including this tonight, but I'm telling you, it just grips me when I think about it. When Joab knew that there was a man coming for him, he didn't go run and hide in his house. He didn't run out in the woods and find a cave somewhere. The Bible said he ran to the altar and he grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar. When that man came in with that sword ready to take his life, he said, come out of here. He said, I will not. He refused to let go of the altar. Man turned and left and went to Solomon and said, what do I do? He said, kill him there. He won't leave, just take him there. And so he came and there was Joab still hanging on to the horns of the altar. He fell on him and took his life, still clinging to the horns of the altar. I'm for somebody in this place tonight to make up your mind that you're going to grab a hold of the horns of the altar. It's time to forget about your own ride, your own plans, your own decision and say, I don't care where it leads me from here. I'm going to grab a hold of the horns of the altar. I don't care what happens. I'm not letting go. I'm going to cling to the altar because it's a safe place. It's a place where God can come, where that purifying fire can come and purify my heart. Oh, there may be fault, there may be wrongdoings, but I'm telling you, if you grab a hold of the altar, if you grab a hold, I'm telling you tonight, you can walk out of here with a pure heart. You can walk out of here a new man. But you gotta get a hold of the altar. You're standing between the house of God and a heap of ruins. 
but you're in the right place because you're at the place of the altar. But you got to make up your mind that I'm going to grab.